Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, October 26th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Stocks took another big tumble this week, and gold kept creeping up. In fact, the yellow metal is poised to chart its fourth straight weekly gain. Gold is up again this morning after Asian stocks sold off in Friday trading. Meanwhile, gold has gained about 6% since falling to its lowest price since January 2017 back in mid-August. Gold was even up a few bucks on Thursday as the stock market bounced, and despite a strong dollar. The U.S. dollar index was at a nine-week high yesterday and near the high for the year. Despite that, some safe haven buying is buoying gold. Geopolitical issues including the U.S.-China trade war, U.S.-Saudi Arabia tensions over the murdered Saudi journalist, Italy's defiance over forming its budget to meet EU rules, and the ongoing Brexit issue are all causing some jitters that have been good for gold. The ECB's decision to keep interest rates unchanged probably helped gold as well. After the announcement, Mario Draghi cautioned markets, promising that even if the asset purchase program ends at the end of the year, the monetary policy will remain, quote, very accommodative. Yes, the European Central Bank is still doing quantitative easing. Now, we don't tend to pay a lot of attention to the ECB here in the U.S., but it's important to remember the Fed isn't the only game in town. There are other central banks out there, and they're doing their own monetary policy thing. So today is going to be interesting. U.S. stock futures are down sharply as I record this after a drubbing on the Asian markets. The third quarter GDP number is also due out. Now the expectation is for it to come in at around 3.3. If it's any lower than that, things could get pretty wonky on Wall Street again. And of course, the big story this week was U.S. stocks. Wednesday was another ugly day. Stocks tanked, wiping out gains for the year in both the Dow Jones and the S&P 500. The Dow fell 608 points, and the S&P 500 shed 3%. The Nasdaq plunged 329 points and lapsed into correction territory. It was the largest daily decline on Wall Street since 2011. Wednesday's drop in the Nasdaq ranked as the third largest in history, at least in terms of points. The two biggest declines both came in 2000 as the dot-com bubble burst. Of course, in percentage terms, there have been steeper drops, but not since the 2008 crash. Peter Schiff said when you see drops like this, something big is happening. He actually termed it a bloodbath. Now, yesterday, Wall Street got a nice bounce back. The Dow clawed back 401 points. According to several news reports I read, investors were bargain hunting after Wednesday's rout. At the end of the day Thursday, the Dow and the S&P 500 were both back in positive territory for the year. Now, of course, the mainstream is pretty much blowing off all of these stock market dips. They're saying at worst it's a correction. But here's something that puts things into perspective. After Wednesday's freefall, the S&P 500 was teetering on the edge of correction territory. That's defined as a 10% decline. But when you look at individual stocks in the index, more than three quarters have already entered a correction. A total of 353 S&P stocks have already fallen more than 10% from their highs. Here's an even more troubling fact. 
179 S&P 500 stocks have already fallen by 20% or more from their highs. That means after Wednesday, nearly 40% of stocks on the S&P 500 were in bear territory. So with all of these stocks already in correction in bear territory, why hasn't the S&P 500 slipped below that, that correction threshold? Well, in essence, a handful of stocks are buoying the broader index. For example, Apple, with a $1 trillion market value, is the most heavily weighted stock in the S&P 500. It's only fallen 4.6% from its October 3rd record high. That helped the S&P 500 as a whole stay out of correction territory. Now, this is the third week of extreme stock market volatility, and as Peter has said over and over, when you really dig down into the numbers, the economy isn't nearly as strong as the mainstream wants us to believe. Well, they can keep downplaying all of this, but I smell bears. Here's just one example of a number that undercuts the best economy in the history of the universe narrative we have coming out of the White House. New home sales came in way below estimates and dropped to a near two-year low. They fell 5.5% to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 553,000 units in September. That was the lowest level since December 2016. The August number was also revised down. Of course, rising interest rates are not good for the housing market, and we're beginning to see that. We're also seeing troubles in the auto market, another sector that is really sensitive to interest rates. And here's the thing. Interest rates aren't that high, certainly not from a historical perspective. The Fed has created a massive credit bubble. That's how the Fed managed to engineer the rise in real estate prices and the rise in the stock market over the last decade. This whole phony recovery is based on debt. Well, obviously, once you raise interest rates, that's it. We're beginning to see the tremors now. But the Fed still is saying it's going to soldier on with its rate increases. President Trump has certainly been putting the pressure on the Fed. He needs a scapegoat because he's been running around claiming the U.S. is in the midst of the greatest economy in the history of the world. Every time the stock market dips, Trump takes aim at Powell and the central bank. In the wake of the big stock market plunge earlier this month, Trump said, quote, The problem I have is with the Fed. The Fed is going wild. They're raising interest rates, and it's ridiculous. He also said the Fed is going loco. Now, Trump caught a lot of flack for criticizing the independent Federal Reserve, but instead of ratcheting down the rhetoric, Trump escalated his attack during a recent interview with the Wall Street Journal. The president essentially blamed the central bank for the recent volatility in the stock market and told the Wall Street Journal that it's, quote, too early to tell if he regrets nominating Powell as the Fed chairman. Now, like I said, the Fed is supposed to be an independent institution operating above the political fray. We all know this is a bunch of BS, but most politicians at least endeavor to maintain that illusion. But no, not Donald Trump. He told the Wall Street Journal he was, quote, intentionally sending a direct message to Mr. Powell that he wanted lower interest rates. And he indicated he wasn't going to sit back and let the central bank wreck the economy. I'm just saying this, quote, uh, Trump said, I'm very unhappy with the Fed because Obama had zero interest rates. Aha, so therein lies the rub. See, Obama got a full eight years of accommodative monetary policy and the benefit of the stimulating effects of low interest rate. 
Trump gets it. After all, he accurately called the stock market a big, fat, ugly bubble during his run for the presidency. And that's what this is all about. Trump wants his own big, fat, ugly bubble. In fact, he needs the bubble to stay inflated because he spent the last 18 months taking credit for the, quote, booming economy. Look, Trump isn't dumb, despite what people might want to tell you. He knows rising interest rates are going to pop the bubbles. He probably smells bears, too. He knows the boom is breathing its last breath, and he knows the Democrats are going to blame him when the bubbles burst. He needs a scapegoat, and Powell fits the bill. It's like a game of musical chairs. Trump is hoping he can leave Powell standing when the music finally stops playing. It's probably not going to work, though. Peter appeared on RT News with Rick Sanchez this week. I'll link to that in the show notes page. He said, we are not only heading toward an economic crisis, we're also going to have a political crisis. The Democrats are going to blame Trump. They're going to blame capitalism. They're going to crucify the GOP for the tax cuts, and they'll probably make it a winning issue at the ballot box. It's not true, but the voters are going to buy it. They always do. Peter thinks we'll see socialism in the wake of this crash. Now, like I said last week, I don't have a crystal ball, but it's really hard to find any holes in Peter's scenario. The key is to be ready. In the RT interview, Peter said you've got to get out of U.S. dollar assets. The dollar is going to be the biggest casualty in this crisis. That means foreign assets and, of course, precious metals. Gold is going to go to new highs. It was at 1900 in 2011. It's probably going to go much higher this time. For more on that, you should really talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. They can give you a lot more details. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160 today. Well, that's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links on the show notes page. And if you're listening on YouTube, be sure to share your thoughts on this week's gold news in the comments section. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.